The following episode of Bread for the People is brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run virtual bakery that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. Head on over to SideHustleBread.com for more information, upcoming appearances, and merchandise. My name's Jim Serpico, and this... Should I start with my name? Or should I start with this is Bread for the People? Do you like it like this? Welcome to Bread... Or do you like it like this? Welcome. Ready? Welcome to Bread for the People. Mind... Is there a script? Welcome to Bread for the People. I'm Jim Serpico. I'm back from uh, a week in Los Angeles where I was visiting my son, Cole, who's a young man. He's 22 years old. He's starting his life's journey in the business of show out in Los Angeles. And my wife and I went out to visit him and did some business meetings as well while I was there. But if you know me, you know I like to eat and I came armed with research I'm pretty well acquainted with the L.A. food scene, although since the pandemic, I really haven't been there in three years. And there's a couple new pizza spots I wanted to try for sure. And then my my Excel sheet is kind of broken up into categories, into genres of food. And while I was looking up the hamburger, because I wanted to change things up from my local father's office run, or Irv's Burgers, I saw Emmy Squared the Matt Burger on these lists. And I was like, wait a second. I was just having a conversation with a guy named Scott Wiener about Emmy's Pizza in Brooklyn. Is this the same place? And why does this pizza place have a burger? So I was on a quest to go check out Emmy Squared while I was in Los Angeles. Now, luckily or unlucky for me, it was the seventh rainiest days since 1877 in Los Angeles. So while I was watching the news, it was like they were preparing for an eight-foot blizzard. They, were, <laughs> they, were lo- they ran out of toilet paper in the supermarket because it was about to rain. And we had to decide, are we going to go brave the rain and try to get pizza? Or should we stay indoors like the rest of the Los Angelinos? And we did it. We made it to Santa Monica. The roads were empty. We thought the brewery that's associated with Emmy Squared Pizza was going to be empty. And it turns out that everybody brave enough to go out decided to go get beer and pizza. And it was mobbed. It was mobbed. It took us a while to get a table. But I have to say, I was blown away with Emmy Squared Pizza, the concept of the whole thing. And I am happy to say that I have the co-founders of Emmy Squared Pizza and... Emily Pizza from Brooklyn, Emily Highland and Matthew Highland. Welcome to Bread for the People. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Sorry for the long ramble there, but I just wanted to set the table and set the stage. Hmm. Now, um, it's not so easy to introduce you guys. I could say you're the co-founder of uh, Emmy Squared Pizza, but you guys do a lot of things. Like today, Emily, I'm wondering what you've done so far. Have you done yoga? Did you write poetry? (laughs) <laughs> Did you write a cookbook? What's going on today? I actually, uh, I've been making pizza all day. <laughs> you have? I have dough proofing in the fridge right now for dinner. <laughs> okay. Okay. And Matthew, how are you spending your day so far? Uh, I'm chasing my kids around. One of them is six, <laughs> so he's home from school. And the other one's like three months old. So it's 
constant crying. So handful. Right. <laughs> yeah. So to continue to lay some context, you guys have a pizzeria and a restaurant, but Emmy Squared has 18 locations now throughout the United States. I'm, I'm so curious to learn about this journey. I am a semi-professional bread baker and pizza maker myself. It's daunting for me to come to grips at this late stage in life, having no true restaurant experience on how to open something up. And here you guys are with 18 locations that from what I saw seems to run without a hitch. Matthew, did you always know this was going to be your calling? You know, like every five-year-old who's always wanted to open a pizza place. It was one of those things where yeah. Yeah, I was like, I was getting burned out just doing regular line cook stuff in, in the city. And I wanted to learn how to do something much more specialized. So pizza was one of the things. There was a pizza place opening on our block. Uh, it's called Soto Casa. It's a very Neapolitan, very traditional pizza place. And the owner uh, taught me how to make pizza. I had no experience making pizza whatsoever, but I had some like line cooking experience. So from then on, it's just like, wow, like this is just, it's just, I get to eat pizza all day. I get to make pizza all day. This is like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. This is just, this is it. So, so you knew that. And Emily, what, what about you? How did you come into the picture and the pizza business? I mean, when we met in college, Matt already had a foot out the door to be in the restaurant world. He was really focused on on getting to culinary school. Yeah, I'm not um, not to drop out of college to go to culinary school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We graduated and then it was culinary <laughs> school thereafter. So um it was it was meeting Matt and then we had many kind of dreamy conversations about opening a restaurant together. And one thing led to another and we jumped in and took a chance when the time felt right. Like Matt was mentioning Sota Casa and I really do remember like one of the first nights he came home from working there and he was like, you know, I, I put my hands on this dough and this is the craft that I want to be doing. And so we we just, we jumped in. That's pretty, pretty cool. You didn't take any class. You didn't do the Johnson & Wales thing in Rhode Island. No, no, no. Uh, we went to, I did undergrad in computer science. And then when we moved to New York City after college, um, I went to Institute of Culinary Education, ICE. It's on, um, it wasn't Chelsea then, now it's in Tribeca. Okay. Mm -hmm. And legend has it that you were wearing your chef's whites on the subway and someone approached you. Yeah, I was on a train. And asked you a question. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us that story? Yeah. I was actually on a train out to New Jersey. We had kind of gone back and forth between Emily's parents' house and the city. And there was a job out there that I was doing for a few weeks. And, and uh, one of the recruiters for the culinary for ICE, uh, one of the recruiters just happened to be on the same train. And like, I think I had like my chef pants like sitting on top of him. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> And, and he's like, hey, are you a chef? And I'm like, no, but, you know, I was looking at this culinary school I want to go to. I don't should go or just do this job. He's like, oh, what culinary school? And I was like, oh, Institute of Culinary Education. He's like, and he hands me a card. He's like, it's like director of admissions or whatever it was or recruiting. I was like, okay, well, now I just have to go. I mean, this is, it'd be stupid not to go here, right? I mean, I run, I run into the guy who's in charge of like interviews and admissions. So, so like I, I applied like that week and then I went, I just, I started going. Are you glad you went? Oh, 100%. Yeah. ICE is a, it's an amazing culinary school. Like, there's not a lot of fluff. They just tell you what you need to know and teach you how to cook, and you're out. I mean, there's a couple of like, those like, programs at like, CIA and uh, like Nikki and everything. Yeah. There are two years, four years. Uh, I feel fine that having a college education and then going to culinary school probably did the same thing as just going to like, a two year or four year program and 
doing college there. So uh, it was like a six month program every day, pretty intensive. And, and just tell me what needs to know to jump in. I had a pretty well-known chef on the program that went to CIA and really speaks down about it. He felt that they kind of train you to be a robot and a soldier and not think outside the box. But I guess you could say that about any school or any training. Maybe it's up to the individual to bring their personality and think outside the box and use what you learned in those situations. Yeah, I mean, there's a fine line in a restaurant between creativity and, and monotony, right? I mean, you really do have to be a robot and make the same food every single day or else people come in and they like this dish and it's different the next day. They're going to be like, this is the same dish I had. So you kind of need that robotic training. But to, you know, obviously yeah. to create specials, you need some creativity as well. So it's, it's kind of a good balance to have being a robot and yeah. being creative. Yeah. I think ICE really supported that creativity. There's another kind of like famous story in the lore of Matt Highland for his final exam. They were all okay. given a bunch of ingredients and they're supposed to like put all of their training and skills into action. And uh, chicken was the main ingredient, right, Matt? Yeah, and there's the people chicken. making like fancy chicken this and French chicken that and like these really complex dishes. And Matt builds like the like platonic form of chicken cutlet sandwich. And when they got to him, they were like a little confused, right? Didn't they have to? Yeah, like, like, um, like the, the teacher laughed and discussed with other teachers. Like, do I fail Matt right away for making a chicken sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> and like and like so i got to present it's just like look i did the standard burning procedure like i pounded out the i deboned the chicken i made it into a cutlet i fried it i i, I talked about all the techniques i had to use that i learned to make this yeah. chicken sandwich you know and it was a damn sandwich and, and yeah, you got an a but yeah i to say they both your creativity <laughs> now you know i'm very curious because it's again like i daydream about it i don't know if i have the guts to ever really do it because also you hear the horror stories about the restaurant business and how 95% of restaurants fail. I don't know if that's true. How do you get to the... <laughs> What's that? I don't think that number's true. <laughs> you don't? No. You think more restaurants fail than no, 95%? No, no, no. I think it's less. I think, I think <laughs> if you can't, like, you know, restaurants have a life cycle, right? So every restaurant comes to an end, you know, unless you're something like Peter Luger, right? I mean, every restaurant just comes to an end. But I don't think restaurants have that high a failure rate of... Of like ninety five percent, yeah. I, I, that sounds that sounds very high. Okay, yeah, you would know better than me, but I'm still afraid of the the jumping without the experience. How did I guess you had so much back end experience in there? How did you guys both decide that th it's time to open our own place? And did you how'd you put together that money to do something like that just with your own savings? Yeah, we, Go ahead, Matt. yeah we, we, we did have some savings. Uh, we put every penny in we had. Um, and I was in like, and he was like, we have to make this work or else we're going to live on, on our parents' couch. Like, this is it. So uh, right. yeah, we scraped enough together. We found a place in Clinton Hill and it worked out. Like the, the neighborhood is, it was very welcoming. You know, they wanted something kind of cool and, and you know, everyone loves pizza. So opening pizza place was a no-brainer. You know, opening a bread place or bakery is a no-brainer. Everyone loves bread. So um, it just you know, really clicked with the neighborhood. We had so many like like lo uh, great locals and just uh, you know one like that. Um, you know, opening a place though, like yeah, it can seem scary, but you know if you if you put everything you have into it, like all your heart and soul, it's it's going to be really good. I mean, that's kind of what the kind of what it, what it's about. And we Emily, at that point, what was your background in food? By the time you open up this first restaurant, had you spent a lot of time in restaurants? 
I had been waitressing, you know, on and off for my, you know, through college and, and when we started living in the city and that sort of thing, but mostly from just eating all the delicious food that Matt would make or going out and experiencing restaurants with him. What worked out well for us is I had a lot of like big, big scale systems implementation skills through my work in the New York City Department of Education as an English teacher and then right. working as an instructional coach. And so there were a lot of principles for organization and structure and uh, rolling things out that naturally turnkeyed me into operations for the restaurant. So that was very fortuitous. And there was also a lot of learning. <laughs> we were yeah. young, we were impulsive, and we jumped into that particular location on gut instinct and feeling very quickly. And then we learned a lot about who we are and our styles of managing and operating along the way. And it's a, it's a hard journey, but uh, really a rewarding one. I mean, we continue to learn so much, I, I think, still. Yeah. So did you both spend seven days a week in the first restaurant for a long time? Well, thankfully, we were, first... well, so we were smart enough to close on Tuesdays so for the first uh -huh. year. And I like closing on Tuesday because you can have deliveries come in on Monday and you can do all the prep right. for Tuesday because there's no deliveries on Sunday. So when you close on Monday, no one's there to take deliveries. And also, if there are other restaurants that are closed on Monday, then we'll be able to go out on Tuesday night and enjoy those restaurants. So <laughs> very strategic <laughs> for two reasons. We wanted it to feel, Jim, like an extension of our home. That was really important for us. We really loved having friends over and Matt would cook and I would curate some wines and that sort of thing. And so we wanted our restaurant to evolve from that. And that first year and a half, I would say pretty much six nights a week. And then when we were open on Tuesdays, Matt was cooking almost every single pizza that came out of that oven. And I was the hostess at the door, except Sunday nights, my sister hosted for me so I could go into the city and teach my yoga class. But right. it really was, you know, in the first two months, we didn't have a porter. So we would come in and clean and do administrative work and receive everything and then go into service and then figure out how to close the drawer and do all of that paperwork and uh, mm. put protocols into place for that and then walk home or take the bus home and start over the next morning. So it was it was a blur. But I have these very distinct memories of just like moments of presence and, and seeing the sweetness of it. And it was really something incredible. I love the idea of an extension of your home because that's kind of how I feel. And that's how I got into all this myself. I would do it for fun on the weekends and I love to entertain. And I have my, uh, I use my Gosney rock box <laughs> more than probably <laughs> most people in, in my back patio. And I love doing stuff with it. I, I love cooking other things besides pizza in it. And I love the communal feel of that. And if I ever did something on the restaurant level, I would like to, uh, to bring that, that passion. Now, what about, I know you're both living outside of New York. I didn't learn that until just now, actually. New York seems like a flooded place in terms of pizza, especially. But I guess you didn't think about that because you love pizza so much. We're just going to do what we're going to do. But now, as I personally look at it and talk to people, and I also see where Emmy Squared's opening, it seems like places that may not have a big, robust pizza industry and you're kind of bringing it there. Is that true? Yeah, it's, it's sort of both. I mean, New York is, you know, if a pizza place opened on Fulton Street next to our place, it would survive and so would we. Like it's just, there's just room for pizza in New York. You know, uh, expanding in New York City for pizza is not that hard because people just love pizza. And, and as long as you have a good location, people will go. 
Um, outside of New York, there could be some pushback where like a bunch of New Yorkers roll into town with their pizza. It's too expensive and blah, blah, blah. But like once they see that we're providing like, you know, it's not, too, it's not crazy expensive. Our quality is great and the consistency is great. Then it's, you know, people will come around. Uh, I think our biggest pushback was in Philadelphia where like, Ugh. oh my God, <laughs> Philly is one of my favorite yeah. cities. And, and we purposely went around looking at menus at the other pizza places, like every menu. And we purposely priced our pizzas like a dollar cheaper than, and, you know, like the, the margin. And people were still complaining it's too expensive, it's too expensive. And then once COVID hit and we were open for the neighborhood, like just you know, giving out pizza to people who need it, like everything like that, they really came around. And now like we're like a fan favorite in Philly. So it sometimes it takes a little while in outer cities that don't necessarily have a big pizza culture. But I mean, everyone loves pizza, right? So if they're not used to what they see, Maybe it looks a little different because it's square with the crispy edge. Um, once they try it, I think they'll be convinced. So, right. Yeah. So the first restaurant in terms of the pizza, you mentioned Neapolitan style. Emmy Squared is not Neapolitan. It's described by you guys as Detroit style. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yep. So the original Emily in Clinton Hill is New York New Haven style pizza cooked in a wood burning oven, and then Emmy Squared is the Detroit style. So like a focaccia-like middle. It's cooked in a pan. You get that nice frico crust, the cheese fried crust around the edge, a crispy bottom, and you get those signature sauce stripes down the length of it. So really nostalgic and delicious. It absolutely is delicious. It's a different dough recipe, correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a higher hydration since it's cooked in a pan. So it cooks a little bit longer. The pizza in the wood oven is a little bit drier. It cooks under two minutes. So they're, they're, they're pretty different. Is there any butter in the Emmy squared dough? No butter. There's no dairy. There's uh, a little bit of oil, but no butter, but we do butter the okay, pan. So- we butter the pans though. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Cause it, it does remind me very much of the focaccia I make light and airy. I love that style or a Sicilian pizza here in New York. Some of them are like that. Um, I'm not familiar Sicilian with the pizza. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Most Sicilian pizza I find very thick and doughy, like almost gummy. So when we set out to do that, I wanted to make sure that it was like, you know, like very big, very big air and not not like that kind of, you know, when you bite it, it's almost like it's raw, you know, like it's, we didn't, we didn't yeah. want that. In New York City, I really agree with you that it's very doughy and airy. Where I live in Long Island, like in my town of Plainview, I have 12 pizza places in this small town and they're all very different (laughs) and they're not all that New York city style. Mm -hmm. Like when I'm talking about New York city, my reference is Manhattan and that is characteristically very airy and different. The long Island pizza is a little different. Maybe it's closer to Brooklyn style. And a lot of these people came out of there. What made you go to the Detroit style? And like, how'd you, The Emmy Squared concept, how does it happen? So um, I can take this one, Matt. Um, We knew we wanted to expand and stay in the world of pizza. And Matt knew stylistically he wanted to do a different, he wanted to do a variation. And so I have very fond memories of Matt cooking a lot of pizza in pans, focaccia-like pizza at home for us um, over the years. And so that was really the foundation of it was Like we want pizza that's cooked in a pan. And then we had this kind of backdoor entry into Detroit style. We love Frico crust of a bar pie. We both go nuts for that. And so we knew we wanted that. And then we started doing research and Matt was like, well, this is Detroit style pizza. So let's order a ton of buddies and start doing research and and build it out that way. 
And so again, we knew we wanted it conceptually to be a different style, but we of course wanted to stay in the pizza world. And so it was, it was an offshoot. Uh, the original remains what it is. And now it's evolved into this great Detroit style pizza restaurant. Uh, Matt, do you want to uh, add anything there? Yeah. So actually, so um, I was doing some um, consulting work for Nestle, which owns DiGiorno. And they have, they always have like a lot of like chefs in and like, you know, just like do taste testing and kind of have fun and meet other chefs. Like it's not really necessarily like a serious thing. So well, I was doing this and there was another very, very famous chef there who actually now owns a pizza place in Los Angeles. He grew up in New York City and, and then the DiGiorno people bring out this square pie and they're like, oh, like, what do you think of the square pie? And I was like, you know, it's, it's a frozen pizza. Like it's for frozen pizza, it's fine. And then this other chef, he says, well, it, it sucks. It's a square pizza. Everybody hates square pizza. And I was like, and, I was, and then like, and then everybody kind of said, was just like, and, and I was like, you know, F you. I was like, I said, I was like, no, F you, dude. I was like, square pizza is the best. He's like, square pizza sucks. He's like, I grew up in Upper East Side. I hate square pizza. Everybody hates square pizza. He's like, if you have a square pizza and a wrap pizza at the party, the wrap pizza's gone and the square pizza's there. And that was sort of just like, I was like, all right. I was like, no. I was like, no, no, this is not like, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm proving this wrong. Like, this was, it wasn't necessarily like 100% motivation because I knew that I wanted to do like a square pie thing, but that like really set me into the focus of just like, all right, dude, like we'll see. Like, 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 let's dance, man. Let's do this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but now I- and he, he now has a few pizza places in Los Angeles. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and try them out, see if he makes square pizza. Interesting. <laughs> and I don't make Detroit style. I do want to try it. I see so much stuff from. Actually, people I, I got to know through the podcast that do it on Instagram. It looks amazing. I've had yours. But the Frico style, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't f- that familiar with the phrase. Could you talk to me about what that means? You know, I think Is, I, I never heard of that before Adam Cuban, who's the uh, famous uh, pizza writer, who's the uh, founder of Slice for Serious Eats. Frico, I think Frico is the a term for those little cheese, those little cheese crusts they make in Italy, like just a piece of like Frico cheese. But I'd never heard okay. of that term before. But I think Adam may have may have coined that phrase for pizza. So when we say Frico crust, I'm basically referring to what I learned from Adam Cuban about about that. So um, I, yeah, I've seen those ridges of cheese around the outside. I would have just said it's a cheesy crust. But since he kind of put the like the original Italian yeah. Italian dish to it to the pizza, it makes more sense. But yeah, the Frico crust, it's uh, it's pretty Detroit. I think all Detroit pizzas have always had that. Do you and mind it's... explaining to me how you accomplish that? Uh, like the average, if I'm making a pizza at home and I get a square Lloyd's pan, how am I getting the cheese on the on the crust? So it's it's actually quite easy. You're you're using the the low moisture shredded mozzarella or any other blends that you want to be creative Use with. Cheddar like an array, yeah, a raised, yeah, the cheddar, um, whatever. And you're really heavily sprinkling, I'd say a two-thirds to one-third ratio. Around two-thirds of your cheese is going around the perimeter of the dough right up against the pan so that as the pizza is cooking, the yeah. cheese go caramelized together against the edge. So it, it, it's easy breezy to do. It's very easy. I mean, I, I, I actually do it without knowing I do it. I make this... <laughs> One of my best-selling breads is cheddar jalapeno sourdough. That sounds so that good. Sounds <laughs> yeah, I want that. <laughs> and it it creates these like giant like the the melted burnt cheese on the edge, you know. And I try to keep them on when I bag it, except it rips the bags. It's so <laughs> sharp. 
but people love it. And someone even said I should sell those cheese chips. Yeah. But uh, I guess it's this similar concept. Yeah. 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 Emily had it's a good sense. Oh, go ahead. Matt, As I say, Emily had a good description of the of the Frico crust, where like it tastes like if you fry a mozzarella stick and the mozzarella stick explodes, and kind of exactly. that, that that's sort of what that cheese is. So I think that's a Emily yeah. phrase there, <laughs> exploding mozzarella yeah. stick. And then you dip right. that cr- crust in ranch, and you're you're good there to go. go. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So I, I still I want to wrap my head around this 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 explosion of. 18 Emmy squares around the country. We go from the Neapolitan pizza place to what's the first Emmy squared move? So we opened in Williamsburg, Brooklyn in 2016. Similar, uh, we were, were a corner unit there in Williamsburg, really meant to feel like neighborhood vibes for the neighborhood, very low key and chill. And we just had so much support from the community and people really rallied behind us and uh, enjoyed coming and dining with us and embraced the Detroit style and embraced Matt's new burger there and just liked the vibes that we grew traction. And we already were getting a lot of interest from investors after the Emmy burger at the original location had its moment. And so we wound up working with this amazing restaurant businessman named Howard Greenstone. And uh, he's like a lifelong restaurateur. And he joined us to help. He saw vision for the concept and he really thought he could grow it. So he took the helm as as CEO. I stepped down from that because I'm not really an entrepreneur and that's not my skill set. And it is his. And he launched us into the, the national arena in a way that we hadn't anticipated or expected, quite frankly. We were just like very much in the micro world of like day to day let's get through this. Let's get this done. Let's try to find some balance in life and, you know, make sure everyone's showing up for their shifts and that sort of thing. And he really saw the vision and, and helped grow things. So it's been a, an unreal opportunity and ride and um, to see his like business prowess and learn from him has also been incredible too. Yeah. And opening the first Emmy square, you know, we opened to such fanfare where it's like bone app and food and wine and like, like all these big, like everything covered this. It was like, it was a really big deal. You know, it was a really big deal to open. The whole party was bonkers. Remember that? Yeah. I mean, it was a really big deal to like open a pizza place in New York City that like wasn't serving New York pizza. You know, like obviously things like the yeah. New York Post was just like, these people are basically here to murder everybody, you know, because that's what New York Post does. And so it's just like, there's, a, there's so much hate, but also so much support where it's just like, how dare you open a different style, style of pizza in New York City? And, and I feel like we opened the door to New Yorkers to like, just, you know, relax with this pizza, right? It's fun. It's, it's bread and sauce and cheese, like just chill out, enjoy it. Right. So we kind of like open that door in New York city for people to not be so like, just like, you know, if it's not this pizza place out in like Gravesend, I'm not going because it's New York style. So like, it really did, it really did like, um, like it really was like a very nice, like introduction to a different style pizza to New Yorkers as well. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, that the original restaurant was a New York, New Haven style. And in my mind, when I hear that, I'm like, those two don't really go together because, I mean, they do. And I'm not challenging you on it, but people are so territorial. I mean, there's so many, I I belong to this uh, train wreck of a Facebook group called Pizza Snobs. You guys familiar (laughs) with this at all? It's like, it's, it's just, it's a roast site, essentially. 
there's no one nice on the site. It's the people are mean. (laughs) They're so mean and territorial. Like you don't stand a chance. If you, whatever you put on is going to get trashed. And some of them mean it like, because they're not from New York, right? Detroit and New Haven people will trash anyone who puts a New York slice up and vice versa. And like New Haven is known for the char. And that's what we do. I love that. Yeah. And that's probably why you say it's a New York, New Haven style. That's how I make a pizza. And I've posted stuff on, they'll say, this is burnt shit. What is that? You know? Hmm. Um, but it, New Haven is different. You would know more about what is exactly different. Yeah. Um, um, and it's, know, always, it's not always round either. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're making, right? We're making, like, I, I never make round pizza when it comes to, like, the, the wood-fired and my line cooks just like, would you just make this round? But mine's always a little like squiggly or squared at the edge. Like I kind of <laughs> like a looser, even though I'm the head chef and the owner, I still make mine not like that. And they get annoyed. But um, we put our toppings like all the way out to the edge. And I think that's something uh, New Haven is like that, that sauce, like your crust is maybe like this much around. It's, it's being almost no crust. And the, I do it, that too. It's just sauce. And the crust that is showing is, uh, is like black. You know, so like that's that's sort of the signature of the Emily pizza, and like that's what I want. And you know, there's something beautiful about a Neapolitan pizza where it's just this huge like bike tire, but and there's like you know this much topping, and it's just like I, I don't I, like that. I don't want that. I want. I, Me neither. I, I want like I understand the beauty of the puffiness of that bread, but like I'm a toppings guy. I want sauce. I want cheese. I want too much pepperoni, and I want to like you know throw everything on it. So I, I don't want the crust. It's it's a waste of space. It's a waste of it's a waste of everything. And I, we give people what they want. You want toppings? We got toppings. We we got sauce. We got cheese. Everything goes out to the edge, and we're not wasting your time with crust. Like there's no crusts left on, on our on our dishes at a at the restaurant because there basically is no crust. And like if you find those yeah. people who like eat it like a little squirrel and they leave a little tiny rim of it, it's like well then I've accomplished feeding them as much toppings and cheese and sauce as possible. Right. I think- a, a unifying principle between em, Emmy and uh, Emily is that we really emphasize an even distribution of toppings. Like we don't like a, a handful of like toppings right on the middle of a Neapolitan pie, like Matt was saying, but everything is spread out nice and geometrically, especially on the Emmy squared pies. You know, like when I was teaching pizza classes during deep pandemic online, we would talk about, all right, we have 20 pepperonis and we're going to make this like a little solve for area, uh, third grade math equation here, make this nice and geometric, hold them up. Let me see. Nothing is concentrated in the middle so that every bite of the pizza has all of the flavor in it. Right now. That's, that's cool, man. How close is, I don't want to use the term chain, but how close is Emmy squared multiple locations to what your original Emmy squared concept was? I think pretty close, actually. I think they've done a really good job as we've really, you know, remained in this founder role and the vision has become, you know, a a restaurant group. They've really done a good job of maintaining the values that we've strived for in terms of the the style of the pizza, the quality of the pizza, the environment that that the restaurants are. Like one of Howard's signature things is he always really is looking for corner units because those invite a hospitable neighborhood feel. We just opened in Park Slope, like circling back to, to neighborhoods and, and being a central part of a neighborhood, tapping into the nostalgia that is so key to the, the Emmy brand. And so 
I, I don't think that's an easy feat to do as a concept grows. And I'm really impressed by how well it has maintained its integrity. And that means a lot to me as a founder because it's, it's our baby that we've released off into the world. Right. So the ingredients are not necessarily locally sourced anymore because you want to keep the consistency. Well, you know, a lot of the sourcing we would do is from New York, right? So like, you know, we're using the grande cheese in New York. We tried to get other markets, other markets, some markets carry it and some don't. So we make adjustments there. Our King Arthur flour. That's what you use? Yeah, we use King Arthur special patent. Um, it's available That's everywhere. That's what I use. Yeah, it's, it's available everywhere. Uh, we use the organic special patent. So we that that's that's a national. Um, but I don't use the organic version. Do you think there's a, a big difference there? I use special patent, non-GMO, which all their flour is. But uh, is there a big difference? You know, there's not that much a big difference in the price of it, so we just use it. Like I mean, it's not you know like I mean, w- would you be able to tell a difference taste-wise? Probably not. But w- but we like the, we like the idea of trying to, you know do organic as much as possible. I mean, some things are, some things aren't, but if our foundation of our dough is organic, then we go for it. Right. Are these locations individually owned or does this group own them outright? Yeah, there's no franchising. We have a a restaurant group that's based out of Nashville. Um, The only franchises are the one in Santa Monica and then we have one in Dubai. Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, so so Santa Monica, which is the only one I've been to, it's essentially a kitchen with takeout, and you can eat in only when the brewery's open. Is that so? The other ones are different, where it's an actual corner store. The rest sit down and you restaurants. Can eat in, yeah, there's sit down restaurants, restaurants, and you can uh, you can to go deliver, sit down, whatever you like. Right. And there's some there's some variants like in Nashville, for instance, in Green Hills, which is like a very family fo- forward or focused neighborhood. It's a much larger footprint, lots of booths that will accommodate, you know, that demographic of humans. And then in the the downtown area called the Gulch, there's like a little what is that like twenty seats? If that is that, I mean, it's like forty, it's like forty seats, forty five seats. Yeah, Green Hills is probably two hundred seats. It's a very different footprint. So this kind of depends on the neighborhood who's eating there. A what size yeah. Tuning into the the the, the, the demographic and, and trying to honor what will will work in that neighborhood. That's great. Are there plans to franchise more of them or not necessarily? I'm not sure. Um, well, overseas, I think there's yeah. lots. Sorry, overseas, uh, you definitely it's definitely like a, a joint venture. Like a restaurant company will run it and then like send back percentage. We train the chefs. We train. They use our ingredients. So it's basically our restaurant, but. Overseas, like we don't want to deal with that because then we don't know the labor markets, we don't know the the, the licensing. So these giant restaurant groups that own like, you know, a uh, couple hundred restaurants and they franchise a couple other restaurants. So it's easier just to do that overseas, like a franchise. But in, in America, since we already know the regulations, we know the labor market, everything else, we really don't do a lot of uh, joint ventures. Wow. So you're both living in different cities. What are you guys up to, each each one of you? Go ahead. Uh, I'm about to sign a lease for a restaurant in Austin, Texas. My uh, uh, partner is Chinese, so we're going to open a Chinese-American restaurant in Austin. So it's pretty exciting. So that should be happening hopefully by the end of the year. Very cool. Very cool. And how about you, Emily? I work at a local yoga studio in Santa Fe, and I'm back to my writing. So um, 
just spending my days writing poetry and teaching yoga. And it's been a really nice shift in gears from running a (laughs) multi-unit pizza (laughs) restaurant group that was really intense and, um, and took a toll. It's, it's not easy as we were talking about earlier. So I feel really grateful for the opportunity to just pull back and calm the nervous system a little bit. Yeah. Would would you do, would you go back into the restaurant world again? I, I would, I mean, I, I think that I would, I'm a really good trainer because my background is in education and I like teaching. So I've always liked leading new restaurant orientations and helping train, creating like workshops to, you know, look at wines or worksheets to help synthesize information. So I think I would work in a restaurant in that kind of capacity, like doing training. I'm good at working the floor and working with guests. I have fun doing that, but I have no interest in ever op- op- uh, owning or operating a restaurant again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just investing yeah. in one. That's my, my, may or not lose money or make money. <laughs> right. big, yeah, big gamble. yeah it's, it, it's a big gamble. So, Emily, uh, you're a poet. I am. I have a poem here about you that I'd like to read. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I would like you to, to judge it. And Matt, you could weigh in too. It's sure. exciting. <laughs> I've, never done, I've never read a poem on this podcast before. I'm honored. Well, wait till you hear it. <laughs> Emily Highland, a woman of many talents. Her passion's diverse, her spirit valiant. She makes pizzas that delight and inspire with her culinary skills that never tire. But her heart is also drawn to yoga, a practice that she loves and knows you. She teaches with patience and dedication, guiding students to find their inner station. And then there's her poetry, also fine, a reflection of her soul, pure and divine. Her words flow like a gentle stream, filled with compassion and a peaceful theme. And let us not forget her kindness too, a quality that shines through and through. She cares for others with a heart so true, bringing joy and love in all that she'll do. Emily Highland, a force to be reckoned with, a shining example of life well-lived. May her light continue to shine so bright, guiding us towards a path of light. Wow. wow. I'm honored. And thanks to you. Holy Look cow. at that. that nice so so wow. I, put, yeah. I put a bunch of prompts into chat GPT and it wrote this poem. Get out of here, for real? <laughs> yes. Amazing. It's pretty good, right? That's, That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I when I was doing the research, <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I've been getting into this chat GPT thing and kind of following it in the news. And, um, when I was doing the research on you, I decided I'm going to try this. I'm going to see what happens, it's but it's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know how all this works, but, uh, well, tell me you. a little bit about your, uh, what you do with the poetry and, uh, you, you spend uh, a lot of time teaching. No, um, I was teaching at City Tech, which is part of the CUNY system in New York. I was teaching an intro to poetry class, but it's really hard when you like relocate. You know, I would have to start again teaching composition and work my way up. And I just don't have stamina to teach freshman composition for any longer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So anyway, I, I have a daily writing practice. I have some classes that I take online and a writing mentor that I work with a few times a week. And I'm working on a a few different manuscripts and um, sending poems out to magazines, to competitions, sending my book out to first book competitions. So uh, feeling hopeful, you know, for all that we've accomplished with the restaurant group, which is quite a bit. That was never my ambition in life. That was really Matt's path that I was kind of 
in the whirlwind of, and my biggest dream in, in life is to publish a book of poetry. So feeling very hopeful that that might be in the, in the future, in the next few years. That's awesome. Uh, I wish you much luck with it. Matt, Thank when you. are you set to uh, open the restaurant in Austin? Uh, hopefully by uh, October when ACL happens. Uh, our new location is right near Zilker Park. So uh, we're really hoping to get it open and just, you know, have a big opening party for ACL as well. That's awesome. Well, I, I wish you much success as well. And I appreciate you guys spending the time with me and, and hearing about your journey. Thank you. We really Thank appreciate you. it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> This episode of Bread for the People was brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run business that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and rate and review this episode. Reviewing and rating is the most effective way to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by Milestone TV and Film. I'm your host, Jim Serpico. Blessed be the bread, everyone.